Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause tonight. Amen. It's truly worthy to be praised. Amen. We welcome everyone to a Thursday night Bible study. Amen. So glad to have everyone here to praise God with us tonight again. Another night uh, to be in His presence. Always a good thing whenever you get a chance to be in His presence. We're going to invite you to stand with us as we get right into our Bible study. We're going to pray and ask the Lord's will to be done in our Bible study tonight. And that he will move upon the man of God as he come to preach or teach to us tonight. And that he will touch each and every one of us. Amen. Don't forget when you're praying to keep Brother Sharp in your prayer. And also Brother Bob, keep them in your prayer. And I don't know if there's anyone else that having a special prayer request tonight. You can raise your hand if you do. I'm going to touch and agree. There is a few hands up. We're going to pray tonight that whatever the needs are, the Lord will touch us tonight. Amen. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer as we pray tonight. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together one more time in your presence, Lord God. We ask you, dear God, that you may forgive us for every sins, all the sins that we have committed in your sight, knowingly and unknowingly, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that you will touch our hearts, our minds, O God. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all filthiness, O God. Purge us with up, wash us and help us to be whiter than snow. Creating us, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, O God. Cast us away not from thy presence and take not thy only spirit from us. Father God, if there is ever a time we need you, we need you now. We thank you, Lord God, for your love. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your goodness, O God. We thank you for being the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings, O God. You are our Redeemer. You are our Keeper. You are the one that died for us. You are the one that is coming back for us, O God. And we're so glad to be in your presence one more time. Father God, as we pray tonight, Lord God, we ask you, Lord God, that you will touch, oh God, every hands that are raised tonight, Lord God. You know their needs, oh God. Oh God, whether it's spiritual, physical, emotionally, or financially, Lord God, we ask you, Lord God, to meet every needs, oh God. For we know you're able, Lord God, to do exceedingly, abundantly above that which we ask or think, Lord God. Father God, as we pray tonight, we ask you, Lord God, that you'll continue to heal, brother sharp, oh God. Oh God, touch him, Lord God, from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, Lord God. I pray, God, that you'll help him, Lord God, to continue to hold on to you, Lord God, and put his trust in you, Lord God. I pray for Brother Bob, oh God, that you'll give him comfort at this time, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that you'll touch the man of God as he come tonight. Oh God, that you'll use him like never before. Let your anointing be upon him from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you'll open up 
our hearts tonight. Open our minds tonight, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to take heed, oh God, to the words of God as they go forth tonight, Lord God. Father God, we know we're living in the last and closing days. And we ask you, Lord God, to help us, Lord God, to be equipped. Help us, Lord God, not to be as full, but, oh God, that we'll be as wise, oh God. Help us to cast all our cares upon you, for you care it for us, oh God. We ask you to touch our online congregation tonight. Oh God, touch every person wherever they are. Oh God, tonight, those that are traveling, oh God, we ask you to be with them. Give them traveling mercy. I pray and ask you to cover us, oh God. Let your will be done, your kingdom come. We give you all the glory and we give you all the honor. We ask that your will will be done in this place tonight as we worship in the mighty name of Jesus, oh God. Have your way among us tonight as we say thanks for what you're about to do in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Continue to give the Lord a round of applause tonight as our pastor come in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Only the Lord Jesus is worthy of all the praises. He is so worthy. Amen. Well, it's Thursday night. We're going to study the Bible tonight. <laughs> it's Bible study. Now, don't be surprised. You know, there are some days where the Lord might kind of tweak it a little bit. But tonight we're going to study the Bible. It's Thursday night. It's Bible study time. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. I will say this to you before I get started. I've been praying recently, specifically asking the Lord to show me how to help the church apply his word. That's been my biggest prayer. Now, first place I want your mind to go is, why is he praying that? Why is he praying for the Lord to show him how to help the church apply the word of God? And the answer is because I don't see enough of the word of God being applied in our daily living. And we need the word of God to be applied in our daily living more than we've ever seen the word of God applied in our daily living. And so I pray and I ask the Lord to remind me that every time I stand before you, I will remind you to give your full attention to the word of God. And to keep in mind as you're hearing the word of God, how can you take what you're hearing and make it become a part of your life and, and apply it to your life? And so I hope that you will um, allow that to be your, your focus, that you will put your focus on, Lord, how do I apply your word? How, how do I let the word of God work in my life? I don't want to just come to church and just hear the word and, and, and might even have some knowledge of the word, but my life is not exemplifying the word. I was even talking to uh, Shaim the other day, and he just mentioned to me, this is Shaim mentioned to me, it, it's, it's, it's good to listen to the kids that grew up in the church because they have perspective that some of us that didn't grow up in the church may have. And he mentioned to me the other day, he just said, you know, it just seems like 
Christian just, their life is just like a little routine. This is a young man that grew up in the church that's saying Christians, they just seem like their life is just a little routine. Like they just do their thing and they just, that's just what they do all the time. Almost like uh, he doesn't see any difference in their life. Um, He went on to say to me, he said, you know, I also um, get to understand that every Christian is supposed to be a witness for God. But I see people that's been in the church a long time that is not a witness for God. Why is that? And he's, these are the questions we, he's asking me. These are the conversations that we're having as we're driving down the highway as to why we can be in church for a long time and understand um, the word of God and not be a witness. And then I started drawing to him the parallel of how natural life and spiritual life is they're 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 going in the same direction. They you get understanding from the natural life uh, uh, that that should um, exemplify in the spiritual life. And I share with him. Some of you know, but he thought it was interesting. Um, but I shared with him how um, when a baby come out the womb, um, the first thing that the doctor is interested in is for that baby to breathe on its own. Because if that baby come out of the womb and it's not breathing, then it doesn't have life. And so I brought to his attention, I said, look at this, Shane. When we're born again of the water and of the spirit, when you're baptized, it's like in the natural birth, you, you break out of what? The sack. Water. You come out of the water sack. Break out of that. That's like baptism in the natural when you're talking about a life being born into this life. And in the spiritual, you get baptized in Jesus' name. In the natural, the baby comes out and starts to breathe on its own. It takes its first breath in this life. Well, spiritual, when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you take your first Holy Ghost-filled breath as a Christian. Then we got on this part where we talked about, okay, I said, here is why most people don't become a witness. I said, most people do not become a witness because they are immature in Christ. People don't like to accept that. But I said, let me show you why it's true, Shaheen. I said, it's true because we can only reproduce after we become mature. So when a woman gets pregnant, I know we didn't abuse that situation and how that go. But really, it's supposed to be in marriage. And normally when we get married, we don't get married till we are mature to be married. And so when we're mature to be married, that's when we begin to reproduce. I said, so if that's what it is in the natural, that you have to become mature to reproduce, then in the spiritual, it's the same thing. So we're not reproducing. We are not maturing. Sometimes all that means is we are being selfish. When you are a babe, when you are a kid, it's all about you. You need people to take care of you. When you get to be adolescent, you're still looking out for you. You're trying to make your way. But when you become an adult and start to have family, it's no longer about you. It's about you taking care of those that now belong to you. And so if we are not doing what we're supposed to do, the maturity might not just be time it might just be we want to we we have decided we're going to keep being selfish like a kid is 
I don't know if y'all hear me tonight. Y'all better not let the baby get distract y'all because that's what I'm talking about. We get distracted for everything. We're not focused. And then we can't handle the word of God to let it apply to apply it in our life. We've been teaching on. Called. To this to discipleship, we've been talking about that for the past three weeks called to discipleship and. We talked about a lot of different subtexts of when we're called to discipleship, what that means. Tonight will be the final lesson on called to discipleship, and the subtitle tonight will be Discipleship Requires Weathering Storms. Discipleship Requires Weathering Storms. Again, I hope you can be focused long enough where you can hear the word of God. Take the word of God and apply the word of God in your life. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 23. The scripture says, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Somebody say followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. The he is talking about Jesus. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus had just finished a long, hard week of ministry. He touched and healed a leper, something nobody ever thought was possible. He healed a Roman centurion servant by just speaking the word, something very few Jews wanted him to do because of their hatred for the Romans. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And then the scripture tells us the townsfolks or town folk brought many who were demon possessed and he cast out the demons and healed the sick. Jesus had done everything he could to meet the needs of miracles. He was exhausted, which is understandable. He and the 12 got into this boat and started to sail to the other side. Mm -hmm. As they sail, he was asleep in the boat. And those that were steering the boat, as we know by now and understand, there was a handful of them that were fishermen. So they understand how to get the boat going. They understand 
the surroundings, the scenery, the water. They understand all of that. The fishermen of the group were familiar with sudden storms as well. As fishermen who regularly patrol the waters of the Sea of Galilee, disciples such as Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were used to drastic weather changes. Storms would often come quickly without any warning. And so here they are sailing, moving in this water. I want to point out to you that we now know that there was a sudden storm that came. I've talked about this before, but maybe you didn't hear me back then, so I'll say it again tonight. You all will allow me to keep repeating stuff, so I'm, 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 I, you should be able to say, go ahead, Pastor, repeat it, and not say, he said that before, because now you know I'm probably repeating it, because I don't, I don't think you heard it the first time. But anyway... The reason why they normally experience storm in the Sea of Galilee is because situated high above the Sea of Galilee is the Golan Heights, which is about, I think, maybe about 2,200 feet above sea level. And the Sea of Galilee is about 600 uh, feet below sea level or something like that. I might be messing the numbers up, but similar. So... I've done this before, so I know what I'm talking about. So in, a, in, a, in the same day, we can go to the Golan Heights and have to put on jacket because it's chilly. That, that same day when we leave the Golan Heights, we can go down to the Sea of Galilee and we need to take off that jacket because it's too hot. Same area. Just the difference in weather depending on where you are. And storms normally take place. Or storms normally happen when the cool air from the Golan Heights flows down into the hot air in the Sea of Galilee. So when cool air and warm air clashes, that produces lightning, thundering, rain comes, and here comes storms. In our life as Christians, we try to avoid storms, but, but storms cannot be avoided. It's just a way of life. When righteousness encounter unrighteousness, storm break out. Many of us may not have been experiencing any storms in our life because we've been going with the flow of life. As long as we go with the flow of this life, this world, you won't experience too many storms. You'll get some storms, but it will be normal storms that generate from this life. But if you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and live a life that is holy, a life that is righteous, at some point in time, you're going to experience a storm in your life. Because righteousness and unrighteousness will clash. The way how you live your life and the way how the things of the world you encounter, it will clash. Storms will come. And so the storm that arised when the disciples and Jesus was moving on the water was because the air from the Golan Heights encountered the air from the Sea of Galilee. The disciples who were fishermen weren't taken 
by surprise with the storm because they're used to storms. However, it still doesn't change the fact that storms make everything uncomfortable. Storms cause things to not be comfortable. And so these 12 disciples, Jesus' 12 disciples, are now in a boat with Jesus sleeping and they're in a storm. It would be nice if the storm had warned them, but the storm did not warn them. The storms of life usually don't warn you. It just starts happening. Car accidents, sickness, trouble with your children, family troubles, money troubles. A lot of times it's not always, you're not always warned about these things happening. They just happen. And the question is, when they happen, what will you do when these storms come in your life? Without warning, this storm came. Peter, as the storm took over the boat because the water started getting in the boat, Peter started bailing water, trying to bail water out of the boat. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? That the storm was happening and Peter's first instinct was to try to resolve it the way he know how. We get into the storms of life and our first instinct is to try to handle the storm in the way we know how to handle it. I wonder if that's how God wants us to approach it. Finally, as Peter was trying to bail water to get it out of the boat and he couldn't bail it fast enough to get it out because water was still coming in, he started staggering through the boat. Obviously, it's rocking and all kind of stuff. He started staggering to go find Jesus and he found Jesus asleep. Jesus, we're going to drown. Don't you care? We're going to die. We do not know what the disciples expected of Jesus. When Peter went to go wake him up, I don't know what Peter expected of him. Because here's the truth of the matter. Peter had watched him cast out demons. Peter had watched him heal the sick, cleanse the leper. Peter watched him did or do those miraculous things, but Peter never saw him in a storm. So what was Peter thinking that Jesus would do in the storm? Because all of what Peter had seen already was that Jesus can touch people and they can be healed. He can cast out demons. He can do other things. That So if someone on the boat was sick, I'm sure Peter would have walked to Jesus with confidence and say, Oh, Lord, so-and-so is sick. Will you just come and touch him? And he would know that for sure because he had seen it already. But he never saw a storm before where... They're about to drown, so they believe. And what could Jesus do? Jesus was doing nothing while all of this was taking place. And I want you to think about that for yourself sometimes. You're going through a hard time. You're going through a storm. 
Life just doesn't seem to be treating you right. And you're praying and you don't feel like Jesus is moving. Well, here's your text right here. Jesus was asleep on them. They are going through probably the scariest time of their life, the scariest moment of their life. And here is Jesus sound asleep. And he needed his sleep because if you read the scriptures prior to the ones we read, Jesus said to them, foxes of hole, birds have nests, but the son of man have no place to lay his head. So every time he get a chance to chill out, he was going to take that opportunity to get some rest. So maybe Jesus was asleep. Maybe he was even snoring. He was tired. For those of you that has operated in the Holy Ghost and, 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 and experienced that, you know when you're done operating the Holy Ghost, ain't no tiredness like that tired. I don't know what that's all about. We can ask Jesus about that when we get to heaven. But when you've done it with the Holy Ghost, man, there's no better sleep than that. Uh-huh. Jesus is asleep, and they feel like they're going to perish. Mm-hmm. But it could just simply mean when we're going through the storms of life and it seems like Jesus is not doing anything, it may just be Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a moment. I'm giving you an opportunity to trust me. We get all frantic. We get all worked up. But you have heard me said before, sometimes we get frantic and worked up because we know we're not right with God. And we're thinking, I'm going to perish because I'm not right with God, and therefore he's not going to answer my prayers. Our mind is so twisted. Twisted. That's not how Jesus works. No matter how much you think Jesus is mad at you, that doesn't mean Jesus wants you to perish. No matter how bad it gets and what you did wrong before, Jesus still don't want you to perish. So I don't want you to think about that, oh my goodness, I just messed up yesterday and now I'm going through, I'm done. Because the Lord don't care nothing about me because I messed up so much. Talking to somebody in here. Doesn't matter how much you have messed up. If you're going through a hard time, you still can call on Jesus and have expectation and confidence that he will answer you and he will come to your aid. Talking to somebody tonight. Don't you let anything, don't you tell yourself, don't let the devil tell you that you messed up so much that now that you're going through, it's just going to, this is the end, it's over. The devil wants us to think that because we're not right with God, he's not going to minister to us. He's not going to help us. He's not going to aid us. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what you have done. If you call upon Jesus sincerely, he will come to your aid. That's the kind of God he is. And because we are so corrupt with sin, because we have so much history of unrighteousness, so much 
history of our mind being twisted, we think of the Lord how we think in our own mind. God didn't call us to think of him the way we want to think of him. We need to think about him according to what his word says. And that's what I mean by we're not applying his word like we need to. If not, we will approach him differently. We keep approaching the Lord according to all of our experiences, all of our uh, uh, understanding of man. But we need to get get out of our own understanding and step into the word and say, what does this word say to me about God? We have so many references. I always reference the prodigal. How the father gave him his inheritance. We just preached about that. He didn't have to give it to him, but he gave it to him. And when he gave it to him, he knew he was going. He knew he was going to mess up. As a as a as a a parent, you know what your children are all about. They can't fool you. Children, you can't fool your parents. Today I was coming down the road. Me and Jordan were coming down the road, and I saw this little kid got knocked off his bike. Car hit him off his bike, and I just elbowed Jordan. I said, see that? Stop telling me you can ride all over the place, and you'll be fine. I can't. Okay. Old Thomas says, who can hear will feel. And sometimes that's what the daddy do, and that's what Jesus do to us sometimes. You won't listen? Go ahead. Go ahead. Here is what we don't understand and don't know. We don't know if we're going to make it back. Some make it back, but everybody don't make it back. So when the daddy know you're going to mess up and he says, okay, since you think you know best, here you go. Go ahead. The chances of you making it back is not guaranteed. You better listen. You better listen. The prodigal son took the inheritance and got messed up. The good news was the father knew his son and knew he wasn't going to stay out there much longer. So he was looking for him every day. And finally he saw his boy coming back home and he went and met him. Take that text. To understand how Jesus operate with us, what Jesus is all about, because that text is there to give you an understanding that that's how the Lord Jesus is toward us. That even in our ungrateful ways, even in our disobedience, even in our rejection to him, he's still reaching for us to get us back on the right track. So don't you think because you messed up so bad that what you're going through right now, Jesus can't come to your aid. That's your thinking. That's not godly thinking. You call on him and he'll come to your aid. You reach for him and he will reach for you. When Jesus heard the fellas frantic, crying out, he rubbed the sleep out of his eyes and looked around. He saw his followers, his disciples, staring at him. Jesus, help us. We're going to drown. Don't you care? Hmm. 
Now, when it was time for Jesus to speak, we know what he says. The first thing he did was he didn't talk to the wind, the winds and the sea first. He said to the disciples, O ye of little faith. He didn't rebuke the winds and the seas first. He went to the disciples and said, O ye of little faith. Now, of course, I'm curious as to why the Lord said that to them, O ye of little faith. I got, I had a little issue with that. Like, all right, Lord, why, why, why are you giving them a hard time? Isn't that just natural feeling to be in a situation where you feel like you're going to die and you're going to perish and you need help? I mean, they were just being normal, right, Lord? Nope. O ye of little faith. And so it brought me to or my attention was brought to that text in Acts chapter 27, verse number 18. I'll put it together for you. If you're smart, you'll put it together right with me or before me, but I've already put it together, so we'll see. Acts chapter 27, verse number 18. And being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And when the third day we ca- and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor star in the many days appeared, no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Same story. Some men on a ship, but there was one disciple there. Of Jesus Christ. This is somebody that's apply, that's going to apply the word of God. We're going to see how he, he applied the word of God. He learned from his predecessors. 21. But after long absent, abs, abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not lose from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of this ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of of God, whose I am and who I, I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. The Lord had told Paul that he will make the voyager, that wherever he's going, he's going to get there, and everybody with him will get there safe. The boat going to get messed up, but you all will be safe. Why did I bring that text to your attention? I want to show you another text, but that's closer to my closing. When Jesus spoke to the disciples after he had been working hard, praying for people, praying their healing, praying their deliverance, when he said, let's get in the boat, He said, let's get in the boat because he was going somewhere. 
So here is the issue. With the disciples that we read first, he had promised that we're going to the other side because we have to get away and get some rest. We're going somewhere. Jesus is on the boat. Jesus told them, follow me. We're going somewhere. And for the storm to come and they thought they were going to die, try to reconcile that. Jesus said over here, we're going to get over there. And Jesus is on board. And now the storm comes and you're saying, oh, we're going to die. Which one is it, disciples? Which one is it? Is it that we're going to get over there because Jesus said it? Or we're going to die and never get over there and Jesus said we were going to Which one is it? And I ask us tonight as people of God, which one is it for us? If God had called us to serve him, if God has called us to the kingdom to do great things, which one is it? Are we going to get destroyed by the situation we're going through? Or will God bring us through because God has plans for us? Which one is it? Which one is it? Do, do God have plans for your life? Is God working in your life? Will, do God desire to work in your life? Or you just think life is over and you're just going to go to the worst of the worst or the worst thing going to happen to you? Which one is it? Which one is it? Do you believe God that he has a plan for your life? Or do you just think, oh, you know, this is going to happen and I'm never going to get to where I'm, I got to get to. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'll never accomplish anything. Again, that's your thinking. God has great plans for you. Every person in this congregation that's online, that's here with us tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ has plans for you. He has plans for you to work in your life, to work through you. And you have to understand that and accept that, embrace that, and make yourself available to him so he can do what he has to do in your life. If that's true, and I know that's true, then whatever storm you're going through, whatever situation you're dealing with, whatever that's real hard right now, do not compromise. Do not allow it take you over because God is not through with you. God has great plans for you. I've seen it so much, I could have been a victim of it. But I've learned it, and I can only tell it to you because I've learned it, and then I can see it in the Scripture. Go through the Bible. All of the great men of God and women of God that we've read about in the Scripture, you can go and find the errors of their ways. You can go and find where things weren't going good always in their life. You can go and find where they messed up. Here is what they did. They didn't stop in their mess. They didn't stop in their storm. They didn't stop when things seemed like it was just going to destroy them. They kept going, and as they kept going, the Lord kept them. As they kept going, the Lord protected them. As they kept going, the Lord's hand was upon them. As they kept going, the Lord was moving in their life. And I'm telling you, the secret to living for God is to not stop when the situation gets hard. Is to not let it take you over and give up. Just keep on going. Keep on moving through. Sooner or later, you will overcome. Sooner or later, you will get to where God is taking you. Just keep on going. I've got that in common with those disciples, and you can have that in common with those disciples. We're all going to have 
situations in our life. Storms are going to come. Challenges are going to come. All kind of situations will come in our life. We can't stop and give up. We can't start making bad decisions. And sometimes giving up is just making a bad decision. Because in your mind, I might as well just go ahead and do this. Because this is never going to happen. That's still giving up. So sometimes you think giving up is just doing nothing. That is giving up as well. But sometimes giving up is you start making the bad decisions because in your mind, this ain't never going to happen anyway, so I might as well just keep doing this. What do you mean by that, preacher? I'll give you a good for instance. If my curfew time is to come in the house at 10 o'clock and at 9.45, I'm still out having a good time, real good time. And it's going to take me 10 minutes to get home or 15 minutes to get home. I'm looking at the clock like, I'm probably going to get home a little later than curfew. I'm probably going to get in trouble. I might get a beating. But you know what? It's best to get a beating after having a good time than to get a beating and never having a good time. You follow what I'm saying? So that right there is what we do sometimes. We think it's going bad already. I might as well just do what I got to do. No, do the right thing. Just keep on making the right decisions and keep on going. It's like, i give you a good one that you can relate to. Oh, we're going to fast today. And you're going real good. And about 1 o'clock, you give in and eat something. After you get done eating, that thing just say, man, I messed up, but I'm starting to fast over right now. And start fasting right after you eat that thing. Don't eat anything else. But some of us just decide, uh, I might as well just keep going. I, I, had, I had just bite a little bit of fruit. You know, it was just a little bit of fruit that I just started eating. But I might as well get a sandwich now. No, don't get the sandwich now. Just realize you messed up eating the fruit. Drink some water and says, I'm going to keep on fasting. But you can give up by the decisions that you make, not so much that you just says, I'm not doing anything. No, you gave up because you start making bad decisions because you gave up. Jesus said, peace be still. And immediately he calmed the same winds and waves he created. The disciples stared at him. Their eyes were just big and wide open. They had tried to wish the storm away. They tried to bail the water out. They tried everything and nothing happened. But all Jesus came and did was speak to the winds and the sea. And they obeyed him. Sometimes the Lord bring us through situations so our faith could deepen, can get stronger. We don't want to hear it. But we have to accept that because it's truth. It's facts, as these young people like to say, and you won't get around that. As long as you're following Jesus, and here's the thing, even when you're not following Jesus, you're going to have some storms. It's just life. Life happens. So I'd rather have storms following Jesus because I know he can handle those storms. But if I'm, if I'm living life, Without Jesus, when those storms come, I have nothing to depend on. I have nothing to keep me. I have nothing to protect me if I'm on my own just doing life. Because storm is going to come whether you are with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. 
storms are going to happen. And so sometimes Jesus allows storms to come into our life so our faith could be stronger. Our faith can go deeper. Our faith can increase. Hmm. We don't want to hear that. But it's the truth. We don't need to focus on the storm. We need to focus on Jesus. His plans for our life. That's what we need to focus on is his plans for our life. Not anybody's plan. I want the plan for my life, Lord. I want your plan for my life, not the plan of somebody else's life for me. I want whatever plan you have for my life, Lord. That's what I want to know. And I want to live into that plan. I want to take that plan. I want to do what I'm supposed to do in that plan. Not nobody else's plan, Lord. And so sometimes he's taking us through storms so our faith can get stronger. And if we don't get strong faith, our life won't change, church. We'll be be what Shaim said the other day. We'll just be Christians going through the emotions and doing our daily routine. The only difference with every and, and the thing about it is everybody have routines that they go through every day. So you, you're no different as a Christian if it's a routine, if it's not a lifestyle, if it's not, uh, you know, fulfilling your purpose and walking in your purpose in Christ. If it's not that, then the bottom line is we're no different, even though we're going to spiritualize it. We're no different from someone else because they're going through their routine and you're going through your routine and going through the routine does not please God. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says we must be led of the spirit. So you can't live a routine life. And try to live by the spirit because the spirit will interrupt your routine all day, every day. Oh, without a doubt, it will interrupt your life. And so. The Lord takes us through these storms. Think about it. Look at the text. The storm occurred while Jesus was on board. Jesus wasn't far away from them, and then the storm occurred. Jesus was on the ship, the same ship that the disciples were in, Jesus was in, and the storm came. So we can be real Christians, holy, righteous, prayer warriors. Soul winner, you call it, you name it. We can be all good with God. You're still going to have storms. Storms don't make you ungodly. It's just the way it is. And so don't you start saying, God, what did I do wrong when the storm happened? Everybody has storms. You can be as close as you can get to Jesus. You're going to be in a storm. You will be in storms. They will come. You cannot live for God without storms in your life. If not, your faith will never increase. You will never get to know God in the ways that you need to know him. You will just be a routine Christian if no storm ever comes. Let me show you a text before I close here. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. 
It's the same text that we read in Matthew. But as you know, the writers of the gospel, they record what they what was important to them. And they record it. So in Mark chapter four, verse number thirty five, look what the scripture says. And the same day when the evening or Eden was come, he said unto them, this is what I'm saying, let us pass over unto the other side. This is why he gave them a hard time. Because he's saying, if I tell you we're going to the other side, what are we doing? We're going to the other side. So why are you questioning me? Why are you waking me up and say we're going to perish? Oh, we better get it. Because we do that. We come crying. Lord! And he said, oh, ye of little faith. Because I told you we are on a mission. I told you we're doing something. What are you crying for? Verse 36. And when they had and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. So we first thought it was just him and the disciples in one ship. But there were other ships that was there, too. And it talked about near arose the great storm and all of that stuff. Same thing. Oh, ye of little faith, rebuke the winds and the sea. But here is the key. I showed you that text so you can see that he had promised them we're going to the other side. But I also showed you that text so you will see it wasn't just one ship when the storm hit. There was other ships when the storm hit. And so everybody, it could have been, so the ship with the disciples and Jesus and the other ship, they all were experiencing the same storm. Church, if y'all can get into what God is trying to get us to understand, I told you all this, and sometimes when the doctrine don't fit how we think, we dismiss it. But God allowed Israel to be in slavery for a long time so he could teach some ungodly people who the true God was. Y'all can receive that or you don't, because all we ever want to think about is the goodness. Oh, God was so good, he delivered them. Well, he could have delivered them real quick. How couldn't God have delivered Israel out of Egypt? Quicker than he did. Why did he take so long? Is he trying to be mean to his people? No. Egypt was an idol worshiping people. Egyptians. They didn't know the true God. They worshiped statues and animals. And God wanted to save them. So because God wanted to save them, he allowed the godly people. Oh, man, that's so heavy, man. That's why, Shaheen, I can talk to you, Shaheen. That's why the church cannot just stay in the four walls and think that we okay. The church must be the church outside of the four walls. God wants the church to mingle with the world. He didn't say be like the world. He wants us to be among them so we can help them. 
that's what he did with Israel for all those years. He allowed Israel to be in slavery among those Egyptians who did not know God so they would one day come to know the true and living God. But we don't like that. That's too hard. Why do I have to go through that, God? Because God loves everybody, not just you. You see how our minds is messed up? You wanted to feel like God loved you. Well, what about the next person? I don't care who the murderer is. I don't care who the person is. That's just so wrong. God loved him and her too. He's trying to reach them too. And sometimes they will never get a glimpse of him unless a godly person get around them. So godly Israel was among the ungodly Egyptians for many years. But when it finally happened, the Egyptians, whether they followed God or not, they admitted he was God. They knew he was God. They came to know the true and living God, the all-powerful God. They came to, now, whether they followed him or not, that was their business. But God is concerned about revealing himself to people so we have the opportunity and we will know to reach him so we can be saved. Whether we follow him or not, that's solely up to us. But his responsibility, God's responsibility is for every human to know who he is. That's his job, not yours. And so he reveals himself in the way that he needs to so those that don't know him can know him. It's up to them whether they follow him or not. He did it for the Egyptians. As ungodly as they were, as idol worshiping as they were, he says, nope, I'm leaving my people among them so they will begin to know and learn about me, the true and living God. Just go, go and watch God at work so you can learn how he does things. Go and check out Nebuchadnezzar. Go and look at the, the, the king that threw the three Hebrew boys in the fire. This is all about God revealing himself to people. But we just wanted to feel, we just want to feel good. Oh, God loves me, so he's doing this for me. Okay. I'm not telling you he don't love you, but stop making it about you. God love everybody. We live for God like, oh, God, like, you know, always trying to get his attention, like, oh, give me your attention, God. He's got you. He's looking at you. He's got a plan for you. But you got to respond to him. Those little ships, those little ships, they didn't know God like the disciples knew God. They was falling along. They were there. But they didn't know him like the disciples knew him. And he wanted them, too, to know him. And so he allowed, because he could have stopped the storm from ever happening. The storm didn't have to happen. He knew the storm would happen. He's all-knowing. He's the almighty God. He knew the storm was happening, and he could have just stopped it before it even started. But his plan is always about, I want you to know me. I don't want you to know me surfacely. I want you to know me intimately. That's his plan always, all day, every day. I want you to know me because the more you know me, the more you can live out my purpose for your life. And the more others that don't know me will come to know me because of who you are, because you know me. That's what God is looking for from us. 
but we don't want to go through storms, so we're always trying to play it safe. We don't want to do anything that's going to get us out of our comfort zone. And God is saying, but I need you to get out of your comfort zone because that's how I can show the rest of the world that don't know me. That's how I can get them to know me because of how you live your life. And so when you come to know me, ready for this? When you come to know me and you're going through a storm, you ain't supposed to act all uncouth. You ain't supposed to go run sitting and acting crazy. No, you're supposed to act graciously in faith with courage and be at peace. Because when you act like that, others will stand by, back and say, huh, huh, they real Christians. Unfortunately, we're up against it. We're up against it because everybody that claimed to be a Christian don't assume that responsibility like they should. And so when you come around talking about you're a Christian, they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. The other day I was at work doing work. Somebody came in my office and said, Wayne, what's your thought about Creflo? This is why the Lord is going to have to, you know, kind of slap my hand to get me to quit my secular job. Because that's how I think of it. Because I love them. I start smiling. They come, when they walk in my office, knock on the door. And I talk to you. What's up with Creflo talking about, you know, no tithing and all that stuff? I need to know about that. Because I got some people saying he wrong and I got some people saying he right. What say you, Wayne? I broke it down. Oh, I never really heard it like that. Yeah. Tithing was before the law. Tithing was established way before the law was established. So the law cannot uh, control what has already been established. And so you don't look into the law for instructions in tithing. You look before the law and you will see it there. As a matter of fact, this is how deep I took um, the co-worker. I said, let me tell you how heavy tithing is. Y'all don't want to mess with me. Brother D, they don't want to mess with me. Let me tell you how heavy tithing is. Why in the world the Lord said to Adam and Eve, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat of it. Because God always has to have the first fruit of everything. That's your tithe all day, every day. Whatever increase, whatever you get, God says, I get the first. I get the first. So that tree, what God was saying, belongs to me. Don't even touch it. That belongs to me. All the other stuff you can have. It's a principle he was teaching from the very beginning of the existence of man. That tree, don't touch that. All the other ones, you can go ahead. So God was showing them, I always get off the top. So when I tell you don't touch it, that means I take that off the top. Tithing, I take off the top. Give me your 10% off the top. And when I take the tithe, I do whatever I want to do with it and stay out of my business. That's what God is telling us. If I want to give it to the, to the preacher that y'all think ain't no good, that's y'all business. I'm giving it to him. That ain't y'all business. I told y'all God love everybody. So God says that 10%, that's mine. And I choose to give it to my under shepherd that takes care of my flock. 
I choose to give it to him. He can do whatever he want with it and however he wants. He's going to have to give an account to me, obviously, but let me worry about that and y'all leave that to me. Tithing was from the garden. So for somebody to come say, oh, I don't. So I blew her mind with that. All right, all right, talk to me about this other guy now. This preacher, he was preaching and he wear all this jewelry over a million dollars and he got robbed. Tell me about him. I'm not going to tell you what I got to talk about. I'm just saying, I'm not, not getting into that. My point is, living for God allow other people that's not living for God to see us living for God. That's what it's about. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, it's so other people can see us living for God. So if they want to know about God, they got to come to us. If they want to understand who God is, they got to come to us because God is not physically here directing traffic. It's us. But we don't like the responsibility. We want everything that's good. We want to get everything, and we don't want no responsibility. And I think that's probably the whole problem with Christians. And that's why I've been teaching you for the past four weeks that when we get converted, we don't need to stay converted. We need to be transformed to become disciples. Because as long as you are Christian, you don't take on a responsibility that the Lord wants you to take on. Christianity means, oh, I'm blessed in the city, I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed coming and I'm blessed going. I'm blessed and highly favored. That's what it means. What are you doing for God? What are you doing for God? They can't tell you. Because all they want to do is blessed and highly favored. That's when you're a Christian. I'm a disciple. I hope you want to become a disciple because when you're a disciple, you realize I've got responsibility. i got stuff to do. God has called me for a purpose and there is work for me to do if I'm a disciple because you ain't never read no disciple in scripture that sat around and says, I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field. All the disciples was working, doing the will of God, reproducing themselves, preaching the word of God, serving in the church. That's what they were all doing. Not walking around saying how blessed they are. So we like to say we're Christians. But if you get a customer saying I'm a disciple of Christ, changes the game. Because when you say that, conviction comes. Because now you have to think about the responsibility you have. I have a story here that I was going to share with you, but I'll just tell it to you like this. There's a couple that... um got pregnant, about to have their second child, baby girl, got to the hospital, about to give birth, and then all of a sudden they said, baby, turn, not turn the right way. And so now they have to do emergency C-section. They do emergency C-section, try to pull the baby out. Baby won't come out. They're trying to do everything. They got the pediatrician doctor in there. They're trying everything. Baby won't come out. Finally, they were able to get the baby out, but when they got the baby out, baby wasn't breathing. They said, is the baby breathing? Nurse said. And then the father, this is a true story. This is not a makeup story. The father held the wife's hand and said, we need to pray. He didn't tell her what we need to pray. He just said, we need to pray. And he started praying, Lord, will you bring breath into our baby's lungs? Lord, will you heal our baby? Lord, will you touch our baby in a special way? And they began to pray in a calm but stern and, and compassionate way. And they were praying. And all of a sudden, 
breast cave into the baby's lung and the baby started bleeding. As they bring the baby back to the doctor, you know, in visits and stuff like that, like that the doctor said, I have nightmares about that um, delivery. He says, I've never experienced that in my life. He says, but every time I think about that, I think about hearing you all praying to your God. And you prayed so just just beautifully and 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 compassionately and 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 the baby came back to life. It was so profound on that doctor's life that he went to that baby's dedication. He was forever connected to those people. Whether he lived for God or not, that's on him. This is what I'm trying to tell you. God is using us to reveal himself to people. And we have to be just clay in his hands. We have to be pliable. We got to be bendable. And we got to be usable so people can see how God is working in the earth. But we have to submit to God so he can do that. We just want everything to be good and to be comfortable. And we don't want to be disciples. We just want to be blessed and highly favored. Give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. That's all we're thinking about. But God wants to reveal the world, wants to reveal to the world who he is. But he has to use us. As I said to you, he's not physically here. But if we who are his body, will be the church, will be his body, he will reveal himself to the world through us. That's a part of your responsibility when you're born again. I know we don't like it. I know we want to feel like, oh, man, you know, I just want to live my life. No, it don't work like that. You can live your life if you want, however you want, but that's without Jesus. You can live your life however you want. You don't have to live it the way the Bible says you need to live it. But just know you're living your life for yourself and you're going to have to bless yourself and you're going to have to help yourself get to heaven. If you want to live your life the way you want to. So it's okay if that's what you want. But if you're going to live your life for Jesus, it's going to be on his terms, not our terms. And we have to become concerned these days with straddling the fence. I'm giving Jesus a little something, something. But I got to still do it my way. We better ask ourselves about that. I can't answer that for you because I ain't Jesus. But what I what I do know is he didn't hold back anything from us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave himself. I don't even say he gave his only begotten son. I know that's what the scripture says, but I know better because I know who he is. And I know almighty God became a man and he had to become a human by being a baby first. So he become what he needed to become. And gave his life for us. I don't know how we would be able to work that in our mind that God gave us all. And I, I just need to give 50%. Remember I told you the other day? Ethan remembered. Because the young people remember that. I said marriage is 100%, 100%. You all remember that? You all wouldn't listen that Sunday? Marriage is 100%, 100%. Everybody give 100%. Ain't nobody giving 50-50 here. 100%, 100%. Well, if marriage is like that, then what you think God expects from you? Because your spouse didn't go on the cross for you. But God says a marriage is supposed to be 100%, 100%. And none of you went to the cross for each other. We need to give Jesus everything. We can't give him some. We have to give him all. 
and he will not accept some because he gave his all. If we're going to live for God and become disciples, it's everything. It's not just some things. Let us stand. Discipleship requires weathering storms. Discipleship is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifetime. It takes a lifetime to be uh, the disciple God called you to be. But if you know that you're supposed to be a disciple continuously, then guess what? You will continue to serve God and do what you got to do because discipleship is a process. It's a lifetime process to be a disciple of Christ. So everything that you've heard me said tonight, if if somehow you feel like you're not there, just keep going. Just don't stop. Matthew, just keep going. Don't stop. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you you messed up too much. Don't let nobody tell you that, oh, you know, you'll never make it. Understand that God loves you. He is for you. He is working on your part. And the bottom line is he wants you to be successful. And I don't care how many times you mess up. Just understand that God is still with you and he wants you to be a success. He knows your flaws. He knows your weaknesses. But he also still called you to do something great for him. There is not one person in the Bible that ever was called by God to do something great that didn't mess up. Not one. They all mess up. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have messed up. All I'm asking you to do and all the Lord is saying, just never stop. Every time something go go south with you, just fight and say, but I'm going to get back on the bike. I'm going to keep on riding. I'm going to keep on living for God. I'm going to keep on praying. Even when I don't feel it, I'm going to keep on praying. Even when I'm talking to him and I'm like, I'm not feeling you, God. Just keep on talking to him. I'm going to read the Bible. And even when I'm falling asleep reading it, I'm going to keep on reading it. Because I know sooner or later, God's going to show up in a powerful way and help me. Because he knows that I want to be better. He knows I want to fulfill his purpose. It's just that I'm just a mess. I'm a work in progress. He knows I want to fulfill his purpose. I'm a work in progress. Don't stop and don't put anything before God. That's all. Don't put anything before God. Make God be your everything. Don't put anything before him. Look in your life and ask yourself, is there something that's more important? And you will know that by the work that you do, you will see it in how you live your life. Am I putting anything before God? Is God the most important? I was telling my mother the other day, I'm done. I just got so much in me that I got to share with you because I want you to start applying the word of God. I have come to realize the simplest, simplest way of living for God successfully. You ready for this? Here is the simplest way to be strong in God and live for him successfully. Ask yourself, what gives you the greatest pleasure in life? That's the, I'm telling you, I just gave you a simple answer to living for God. What gives you the greatest pleasure in your life? And if God gives you the greatest pleasure in your life, you're going to be all right. What you got to worry about is when God doesn't give you the greatest pleasure in your life. But if God is the greatest pleasure in your life, because I'm telling you, for me, for the people I've read in the Bible, and for some of you, 
even days when you're just unhappy, even days where things are just hard, if God will just do one little thing to let you know he is pleased with you, oh, man, everything changes. Everything changes when you feel like I just made God pleased. Everything changes. And I'm telling you, that's how you want to live your life for God. If you don't feel like God is the most uh, precious thing to you, it's what pleased you the most when he is pleased. If that's not it, pray about that. Pray about it. If, 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 If your greatest pleasure in life is not pleasing God, pray about it. And pray that that will become your greatest pleasure. Because when that becomes your greatest pleasure, no matter what goes on in your life, you're going to hold on to Jesus. Because you know, God, I don't care about all of this. I like this and I like that. And that's great. But the greatest thing to me is when you just give me a wink of an eye that I just pleased you. The greatest thing to me is when you just affirm in my spirit that I pleased you. That's what's the most important thing to me. And it should be for all of us. Is when we please God. And if that's how you live in your life, you're going to be all right. Jesus, we love you. Oh, my God, I thank you for your word tonight. Father, I pray that we will do a better job applying the word of God. Your word has gone forth tonight, Lord God. Now we ask, oh God. That you will give us the wisdom and open our up, open up our understanding that we may know how to apply the word of God and not just be hearers of your word, Lord God, but teach us how to apply it to become doers of the word of God. Lord, we don't want to be complacent and stagnated. Huh? But, oh, God, I pray that there will be a move of your spirit deep down within our soul, almighty God, that we will not just go through the motions and just fulfill routines and fulfill schedules, Lord God. But, oh, God, let there be a move, a Holy Ghost move deep down within our soul, in our spirit, Lord God, that, almighty God, our greatest desire will be to please you. Our greatest satisfaction will be to please you. Your attributes and your nature to this world. Oh, God, have your way tonight. As we go from this place, almighty God, let your word fill our mind and fill our heart. Let your works, almighty God, go before us, Lord Jesus, and teach us how, Lord God, we can apply the word of God. Lord, have your way tonight, Lord God. Oh, God, thy word have we hid in our heart that we might not sin against you. Help us tonight, Lord God, to live a holy and righteous and productive life of, in Christ Jesus. That your will may be done. That your kingdom may show up, Lord God, in our life and in all that we do, Lord God. Have your way tonight, Lord give you honor and praise. Let your will be done, Lord God. Help us tonight, Lord. Oh, God, help us to be 
be vigilant, sober, alert, Lord God, and attentive to your will. Show us where we're doing well and show us where we need to improve. Show us, Almighty God, how to live according to your will, Lord. Will you bless us? may begin to follow us for you said signs and wonders shall follow them that believe we thank you tonight and we praise you we thank you tonight and we praise you oh god we give you the praise and the honor hallelujah in the name of jesus we pray somebody clap your hands unto the lord and thank him tonight come on let's thank him open up your mouth and say thank you jesus thank you jesus Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Don't forget, as you know, this Saturday is our annual picnic. We're going to have a great time. Rain or shine, we're going to be there. You know, we have a canopy out there. We have a pavilion, and uh, we'll be cooking. We'll be eating. There will be games. Please invite somebody to the picnic. And remember, this Sunday is Friends and Family Sunday, which means we want to see your friends and your family come to church this Sunday. Invite them to church so they can come and hear what the Lord has to say to their hearts. But let's have a good time Saturday at Veterans Park. We get going at noon, and we want you to invite people. Don't worry about food. Just invite them. They'll be fed. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Give to the building fund before you leave in Jesus' name.